Hi, this is Pastor Bob. For a couple of days, we're going to take up the essence of 1 John 1, 9. Talk about it. So much untruth, so much complication has been made out of it. Let's take and make that complicated simple as we describe how that we're born again by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But as a Christian, we become cleansed by simply confessing that sin. Find out from the Word of God. Let's go together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. I want to welcome you back today to Student of the Word. And we're going to be taking up something today that's become really just more of a theme in my own personal life. And that is I love to take what seemingly is complicated and make it simple. The Bible, it seems like most people think if they take something simple and the Bible complicates it. No, that's people that do that, not Jesus. I think of the times in Jesus' ministry when all of a sudden he saw he was over their head, which happened quite often, and he would suddenly stop and throw a parable in there. He would say, it's like putting uh, yeast in a loaf of bread. And all the women would go, oh, I understand that. And then he would say, it's like throwing a net in the ocean. And the fishermen would say, I see that. And he says, it's like putting a seed in the ground. The farmers would say, well, I see that. He was always reducing it down to where a person could understand the things of God simply. So the Bible was not written to be a complicated book. We complicate it. And so again, God makes it simple. I'm gonna take something today that seemingly is complicated and that people are complicating it, ministers are complicating it. And we're talking about the essence of a Christian. When you sin as a Christian, you confess that sin. We'll talk about it. It's laid out simply in the word of God, but people are making more out of it because they take one truth from the word of God and they try to make everything revolve around that one truth. Well, there's certain things you can do in that respect, but you can't take everything because there's certain things that are just for certain occasions found in the word of God. And so we're not gonna to turn to a particular scripture today, but we will be talking about mainly the essence of confessing scripture, of confessing your sins before the Lord found in 1 John chapter one and verse nine. So again, I wanna say hi to those that are here for the first time, hi to those that may be here the second, third time, and those who've been here for some time, and to those who stand with me as partners in this ministry. And again, I wanna thank you greatly for what you have done. You're a blessing to me. And uh, I think of the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, which seems to be by all you know accounts across the world and all the things we see happening right now could be any day. And I'm just simply saying to you, increase what you do best. And that is what God has called you to do. God has called you to win the lost, lay hands on the sick, see them recover, bring them up to speed as far as becoming a disciple for the Lord. And so that means backing good ministries as well as you doing it yourself. God has not called you to use me to uh, transplace you and so that you don't have to spread the gospel or witness people. No, he's called me to supplement your ministry. You are the first one called. And God said, go into all the world and do these things. And so we do. And so God's called you to work with me and me to work with you. But again, what you cannot do, you can fund ministers. You can fund evangelists and prophets and you can fund missionaries. You can fund me and my ministry and teaching because my main goal that God has called me to is to make disciples out of converts. I love making converts. But the greatest thrill that comes to me is seeing someone begin to change their life, begin to just level out, maturity come in, stability come in their life from the word of God. So if you'd like to become a partner with me and join those that are partners with me, 
go to my website, bobbyandian.com, and you'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me. And thank you for doing this. Again, even though some of you have not done it yet, I believe that you will. And I just want to thank you for doing that. I have a couple here of uh, testimonies and just people thanking me for the ministry that's happened. This is from Catherine. She says, thank you for your faithful serving Jesus as my pastor, my mentor, and my teacher, I consider you to be a spiritual covering as I go forward in faith. And so I am encouraged and greatly blessed through your teaching and your leadership. I am attending Karis Bible College right now. And then another one from Grace. I like that name, Grace, don't you? She says, I enjoy listening to your teaching and I never get tired of it. Well, I do sometimes because I do it all the time. But you know what? It's always a blessing. So whether I get tired at the end of the day from preaching the word of God, then you might, and, but you don't get tired of listening to it. Wow, thank you. And again, to be, you know, put it right down to simply what it is. It is the word of God that lives and abides forever. That's what God has called me to do. So today let's talk about, let's make confession of sins for the Christian as easy as possible to understand. I simply come back to it this way. It's kind of like when husbands and wives never tell each other they love each other. And she comes to one day and says to him, you never tell me you love me. He says, well, I told you when we got married, isn't it still true today? The point of it is we need to hear it more and more and more. And on the other hand, you know, if there's things that you do wrong, you would apologize to your wife, apologize to your husband. And this is simply what 1 John 1, 9 is. This is an after the fact confession of sins. There is a confession of the Lordship of Jesus that saves us. But after we get saved, there is really a time where we come to the Lord and basically apologize. We confess our sins to him and we find it throughout the word of God. This is not something that an unbeliever does. Understand this, an unbeliever cannot confess his sins. The reason why is confession of sins is part of your priesthood and a sinner is not a priest. Once you become a priest, then you can go directly to the throne yourself for those individual sins you have committed. But a sinner does not confess his sins. He confesses the Lordship of Jesus and his sins are forgiven, which blocked him from going to heaven. After you are saved, these sins that you commit as a believer are not something that block you from going to heaven or stop you from going to heaven. They simply hinder your life on earth. They are an open door for Satan, an open door for sickness, an open door for obstacles in life to come your way. And God simply wants you to be able to remove those. And the way that you remove it is if you confess your sins that you have done, he's faithful and just to forgive you, then cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that basically means any sins you don't know you've committed, he will forgive that too. Confess the sin that you know, and surrounding that may be some unknown sins, and unknown sins are something that by by now you still don't know yet. The more you grow in the Lord, the more is revealed to you that this is wrong and that's wrong, and God will let you get away with quite a bit of that when you're first born again, and we should too. We should, I mean, look at people and realize they just came out of sin. No wonder they're having problems with this, and we need to help them instead of criticize them. So in the word of God, this has been true. Old Testament and new, David confessed his sins before the Lord when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and finally the prophet Nathan came to him and told him what he had done. Then David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And the moment he said that, Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. He was already a believer. David had been a believer for years since the time he was a small child. He'd accepted the Lord, knew the Lord as a shepherd out on the field. So again, this was true in the Old Testament, but it's also true in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we find it used quite often in the teachings of 
of the word of God. And again, 1 John 1, 9 is the main, main place where it's totally laid out simply, but it lines up with scripture from the Old Testament too. We will be pointing that out. So it's being taught today as unnecessary for the believer and even worse, that it only applies to sinners. And that's not true. Neither one is true. It doesn't just apply to a believer as unnecessary, but it also does not apply to a sinner as necessary because a sinner cannot confess his sin. What's keeping him out of heaven is not that sin he just committed. What's keeping him out of heaven is rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because Christians go to heaven even with sin in their life because the sin they commit after they are a Christian doesn't take away their salvation. It takes away their happiness, their joy. In fact, in 1 John 1, 4, that introduces 1 John 1, 9, it said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So God wants us as Christians to be full of joy. It's now become an open door for sin and only the truth of God's word will reveal this truth. People simply say, well, you know, uh, if 1 John 1, 9 was true, then I would confess my sins, but you know what? That's not true. So anyway, and what they teach is since all sins were forgiven at the time I became a Christian, I don't need to confess my sins because confession of sins shows that I've still committed a sin and God doesn't see sins anymore in my life. The answer is yes, he does. He doesn't see you as a sinner sinning. He sees you as a Christian sinning and there's a different approach to God the Father. A sinner who sins is not held accountable for those sins because he is a sinner separated from God. When we lead a person to Jesus Christ. They don't confess their sins. They don't even mention their sins because all their sins are not what's keeping them out of heaven. What's keeping them out of heaven is rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When the Philippian jailer talking to Paul said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. So he was simply saying there that when you can, that when you come to the Lord and confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you will be forgiven of your sins. But then past that point, when you now sin, you are a Christian sinning or what's called in, in 1 Corinthians chapter three, a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is under the control of his flesh. But the way you get out from under the control of the flesh is you confess that sin, then you go to work on it and you might commit it again. There's no, there's no place where God says once you commit it and turn from it that you were to vow never to do it again. That's immaturity. Pounding on the table, I will never do that sin again. I will never do that sin again. Well, listen, it's not your flesh that keeps you from sinning or the power of your flesh or the determination of your free will that tells you I will never sin again. It's growing up. And the only way to grow up is get into the word of God. Your word have I hid as a Christian. David was talking as a believer, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. What God wants is as you keep confessing your sin and going back to the word of God, you might confess, you might do it again and confess again. But each time you go back to the word of God, then there comes a day in your life where you're no longer controlled by that. You are now have control and dominion over it. And you can look back on your life and say, when's the last time I committed that sin? It seemed like for a while, I might've done it once or twice a day or two or three times a week and I kept getting so upset with myself and I'd jump on the on my Bible and pound the table and vow never to do it again, but I don't have to do that anymore. It seems like the longer I've walked with God, I've got power over that. That's called maturity. That's called growing up. So 
Again, 1 John 1, 9 has now become an open door and people say, well, now that I have 1 John 1, 9, you know, uh, and I don't have to obey that thing. So my sins are already covered and I can sin. And the point of it is God hasn't saved you to sin. Confession of sins for the believer was never given as a license to sin against God, but to serve him. Never presented as now that you confess your sins, you can go do it again and confess your sins. That's like saying once you get a ticket for speeding, once you pay it, then paying that ticket ticket is your ability from now on to speed all you want to. All you have to do is come back and pay a ticket. No, there comes a day when harsher things can be levied against you. And this is what happens when you keep on continuing to sin, continuing to sin, not realizing it's a sin and still coming to the Lord and simply saying, well, I'm just going to confess it and keep on going and keep on sinning. That's not what God wants. Christian growth is impossible without a way to rid ourselves of the sins we knowingly or even unknowingly commit. Something designed by God's grace for our freedom has turned from simple to complicated and from clear to ambiguous, and lately much confusion has arisen over this part of God's plan for our daily life, and that is confession of sins before the Lord. We as priests have a right and even an obligation to take those daily sins isolate them and come before the Lord, confess them to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And as a priest, we can walk away from there in total freedom. See you right after the break. John's gospel was written as a testimony of Jesus as the Christ and as a guide for unbelievers to come to him as their savior. But the epistles of John, his three letters written to the church, are for guidance and strengthening to believers and church leadership who are facing troubling issues with false prophets, Gnostic heresies, and the pride that can invade the church, causing confusion and distress. John's epistles comfort believers with encouragement to continue doing right, stay in faith, be confident in Christ, and to love other believers as part of one family. In these 16 lessons, Pastor Bob Yandian makes the complicated simple with a verse-by-verse teaching and commentary of the three epistles of John. Topics include forgiveness of sin, what it means to know God, advancing in the Word, overcoming the world, spiritual maturity, and the sin unto death. To order the Epistles of John, visit bobyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. My offer on this broadcast is my flash drive of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which really revolves a lot around what I'm teaching right here. John not only is the one that brought us, you know, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that if anybody believes in him would have eternal life, would not perish. But he's also the one that brings out as believers in 1st John, also 2nd, 3rd John mentioned it too, is that we can come before the Lord as Christians and even more than that as uh, disciples before the Lord and stand before him as priests before the Lord. And with that priestly obligation, responsibility, and great privilege as our position in Christ, we can come before the Lord and confess our sins. Remember again, a sinner cannot confess his sins. First John 1, 9 could never be addressed to sinners because a sinner has no right to come before the throne of God and confess his sins. In fact, when he confesses the Lordship of Jesus, he's not coming before the throne of God. He's coming before Jesus Christ and simply saying to him, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Then he has rights and access to the throne of God because only a believer is a priest and has access to the throne room of God. And this includes praise and worship. It includes prayer, but it also includes confession of sins. And this is the responsibility we have. So again, this is found in the word of God and we're taking it up again. And the essence of this is 1 John 1, 9. In fact, let me quote it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, notice we, not them, sinners. No, it's us believers. If we as believers confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, then cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness, any unknown sins surrounding that are cleansed when we hit the bullseye and we tell the Lord, I have sinned against you. He forgives that sin. And that's what happens. I think of the prodigal son. He's not the prodigal sinner. He's the prodigal son. He was a son. He ran away from home. He was in a pig pen. The father waited on him and he finally came to himself and he said, I know what I will do. I will go home and tell my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There is 1 John 1, 9. And that's what we have the right to do. So he did came, come home and that's exactly what he said. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. David in the Old Testament, after he committed to sin with Bathsheba, was approached by Nathan the prophet. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Same thing that the prodigal said, I've sinned against heaven and against you, Father. And so again, we find that the Lord forgave him because the moment he said that, then the prophet Nathan said, your sins are forgiven and you will not die. Notice this, he was even headed down a path toward dying. And this happened in the Old Testament too with King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah just got puffed up in pride, committed some sins, went to Egypt for help. And God said, you're gonna die. And uh, so Isaiah went and told him this, you're gonna die because of your rebellion toward God. Now, if he died, he still would have gone to paradise with the other believers, but he died as carnal. So what happened was, again, as he turned around and walked away, Isaiah did, the king turned toward the wall and repented of his sin. And the moment he did, as Isaiah was walking away, Isaiah turned around, went back and said, the Lord has added 15 years to your life. And so that's exactly what the prophet Nathan said to David was, he said, your sins are forgiven and you will not die. Here's something being said today about this verse of scripture, 1 John 1, 9. Uh, believers who believe that you don't have to confess your sins are saying, we you know what, that's the only scripture in the Bible that tells us Christians or believers need to confess their sins. Well, first of all, this isn't true. It's found in Proverbs 28, 13, where it says that we need to confess our sins and turn from them. In Acts 19, 18, they did the same thing. In fact, this is the revival in Ephesus. It said many came and confessed their deeds. These were believers that uh, when the revival hit, they were drawn out and they simply repented for all the years they had 
been turning toward uh, mysticism and turning toward witchcraft and all this, and they repented of their sins. And so again, we find it there. And so there we find it in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, Proverbs 28, 13. But let's assume, let's just assume for a moment this is true. If it is asked, how do you build a doctrine on one verse? How can we prove that's right or wrong? Well, you don't usually build a doctrine on one verse unless the truth of it is found in other places in the scripture, even though it's not, it's not quoted. All right, what I'm saying is there's certain things about lying in the word of God and the Bible came against those who did lie. And yes, we have a commandment, thou shalt not lie. And we're told in the New Testament not to lie. But what if there was only one verse? Isn't there plenty of proof throughout the word of God? And the same thing with 1 John 1, 9, it is mentioned in other places. It's almost quoted exactly like it is in 1 John 1, 9. But what if it is the only verse of scripture in the word of God saying we need to confess our sin? Well, there's only one scripture telling us as sinners, we need to believe with our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. And yet when we lead people to the Lord, 90% of the time the people say, the verse says, if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, you will be saved. We have no problem with that. Even though that's the only place in the Bible that is even brought out, we have no problem. So why do we have a problem with 1 John 1, 9? It's because with Romans 10, 9, and 10, we find people confessing. We find people believing. And the same thing is true with 1 John 1, 9. We find believers confessing their sin. Like I said, David did it. And like I said in the New Testament, the prodigal son did it. And so we all agree that's true. All other verses tell us to believe on the Lord Jesus for salvation. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us we also need to confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. In other words, all other verses tell us what to do for salvation, that is to believe. But Romans 10, 9 and 10, confessing with the mouth tells us how to do it. So we believe in our heart, but this verse adds to it. Let it come out of your mouth also. So how to believe to receive salvation, you also confess your sins. What does confess mean? Well, we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, but in 1 John 1, 9, we also confess our sins as a believer. The word used for confess in most other verses of scripture is used as repent. And that's exactly what in essence it means. It means to, re, it means to turn. Although in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's often used for unbelievers, most of the time the word repent over 80% is used for believers. Believers need to repent. And so we find in the Old Testament that when, uh, you know, that when uh, in the city of Nineveh needed to uh, have salvation and God sent Jonah there, Jonah walked down the street and his main message was one word, repent, repent. And from the, from the king down to the peasants in the street, they all repented. So it is a term for salvation. It is a term for revival. And we find in the New Testament, that's also true there that sinners need to repent. But most of the time it's used for believers to repent of the sins they are committing and get back on track with God. They are not a sinner sinning. They are a believer sinning and therefore the essence of repent changes. And so repent for an unbeliever now changes him into a believer, into a child of God. But a child of God who is sinning and repents now brings him back to being a spiritual Christian, not a carnal Christian, one under the control of the Holy Spirit, not one under the control of the flesh. So the verses in the New Testament telling Christians to repent tell us what to do, but not how to do it. First John 1, 9 tells Christians 
how to repent. And the way we repent as a Christian is we take the sin we have committed and we confess it to the Lord. Now, the longer you wait, there's usually gonna be some unknown sins that surround it. But when you confess that sin, again, he's faithful and just to forgive you the sin you just confessed, but he cleanses you from all unrighteous. God is just so good. He simply says, give me a chance. Just do one thing, confess that sin you just that you're now ignoring, that you're pushing off to the side, that now you're excusing like, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Your wife's telling you you sinned, your friend's telling you you sinned, your children are telling you you sinned, and you go to church and the pastor's preaching right at you and you think, does he know what I've done? And again, they're preaching. You need to just wise up and say, okay, okay, I get it. I have sinned against the Lord and your sins are forgiven. I think something interesting too about 1 John 1, 9 and the word for repent there, it doesn't actually mean to name your sin. You might've forgot by the time you get there all the, all the essence around that thing and you miss some points. In other words, think about this. If 1 John 1, 9 was directed to sinners and you need to repent of your sins, how can you possibly remember all the sins you've ever committed? I mean, to name them and to name what you've done. I mean, you, in, in 10 seconds, you'd run out of, I mean, you remember some, but you can't remember everything. The point of it is you don't have to. You confess Jesus Christ as Lord and all the sins you've ever committed up until that point are forgiven. Once you become a believer and now you sin, you take and isolate that sin and bring it to the Lord and you confess that sin. As a sinner, you don't confess your sins, you confess the Lordship of Jesus. As a Christian, you confess your sins because because you've already confessed the Lordship of Jesus, you are a sinning saint, not a sinning sinner. So when you confess your sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins when you confess your sin. The Greek word for confess is homo legeo. It's a compound word, homo legeo. Homo meaning same, we get homogenized from that. But all, then legeo means to speak or to say. It's a compound word meaning to say the same thing. In other words, once you sin, then your heart's telling you you've sinned. Your wife may be telling you you've sinned. Your friends are telling you you've sinned. The Holy Spirit's telling you you've sinned. God the Father's telling you you've sinned. When Jesus approaches you, he's trying to tell you that you, God is just simply for you, waiting for you to say the same thing. So the word can mean to agree, to admit, or to acknowledge. It doesn't mean to name your sin. It could be better translated, not as confess, but if we admit our sins, if we acknowledge our sins, your wife, when something is wrong between you and your wife, and you try to say, oh, it wasn't bad, it's no, it's not. And she knows it is. She's waiting for one thing. Would you just please admit it? I'm not asking you to tell me how you feel about it. I'm not asking you to lay it all out there. And I'm not asking you to whip yourself and beat yourself. I'm simply asking you to admit it. And that's what God is saying. Please come before me and just admit you've done something wrong. And that's when God says, fine, that's what I'm going to do. Now take it and I'm going to forgive you of that sin. And anything else around there you've committed will also be forgiven too. I will cleanse you from from all unrighteousness. Nowhere in scripture are believers told to list or to name their sins. This is a distortion of the meaning of the word homologeo. It doesn't mean to list. It doesn't mean to name your sins. In fact, nowhere in the word of God did, did David. When David confessed his sin, he just simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't say, I lusted after Bathsheba. I should have been at war during that time, but I stayed at home. I didn't study the word. I was walking around. I was bored. I saw her. I lusted after her. I brought her in. I seduced her. I had sex with her. She got pregnant. I'm the one that murdered her husband. 
And then I brought her in and lied to the nation. And I brought her in like I was rescuing her from this situation. The nation thought I was a hero when I wasn't a hero. He didn't mention all those things. On top of that, if he tried to, it had been a year since he had done that. He probably committed a whole lot more sin since then. But all he did was confess this. I have sinned against the Lord. And not only was that sin toward Bathsheba forgiven, murder of her husband forgiven, everything else was forgiven that surrounded it because God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, singular, and then forgive you from all unrighteousness, all those things that again revolve around that. This is the simplicity as 1 John 1, 9 of why and how we confess our sins. We will continue this tomorrow. Have a good day. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.